Good morning, church. This morning's Bible reading comes from Acts 16, um, verses 11 to 33. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. And there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for our owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them there before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful to us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Cyrus. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his family were baptized. Hey, everybody. I'm Josh. I'm just going to share some awesome things that's been going on in my life um, through my workplace and um, some just awesome things that God's been doing. Um, About four weeks ago, my boss told me I'll be going to a land I've never even heard of called Hastings. Um, which is about a 50-minute drive for me, which isn't fun. But um, I didn't know why God was sending me there. But um, since I've been there, I've seen some radically awesome, life-changing things that just God's been doing with these kids. The first one, I met a girl named Crystal, and she told me that um, she wanted to kill herself um, on one night on shift, and she just had no reason to live. She had a kid when she was 15, and she just has got nothing left in her life. And I got to tell her that, you know, I love her and I want to see her get up in the morning and I want to keep seeing her. But above that, there's a God that loves her and there's a God that wants to see her get up in the morning. And there and there, um, I just took her hands and told her I loved her and if she wants to be set free, that she's got Jesus Christ and she's got that for her. In that moment, she accepted Jesus, which is just amazing. And, um, and since there, I've seen this... 
um, yeah, just a massive change in that girl, and she's just the most positive person I can see around in my workplace. Um, another one, I met uh, a guy named Caleb. Now, Caleb uh, was really, really struggling. Uh, he's uh, with drug addiction. And I told him that if he needs an escape and if he needs someone to um, rescue him from that, um, Jesus can. Jesus can um, take that all away from him. And I remember uh, a day later after that, he told me he accepted Jesus that night. And ever since then, he's stopped it and he's got no need to touch the drugs anymore, which is just amazing. And uh, from there, um, Caleb and I decided we've got a lot in common. Uh, we both like heavy metal music, and we thought, hey, we're, we're both Christian guys now. Why don't we just start a Christian metal band? And uh, from there, uh, we met, because uh, that's what you do. Uh, <laughs> from there, he introduced me to a guy named Riley. Uh, Riley uh, comes from a really hard family where they're just against Christianity and against church. And Riley, when I met him, he's got a giant goat's head tattooed on his chest with uh, six eyes and devil symbols all over him. And very, very hard things to see, but he, uh, after talks through Caleb, who's just become a Christian, he's accepted Jesus Christ as well. Uh, and we've, uh, he's joined our band, which is amazing. And um, so we actually got to perform at uh, Beaconsfield last Sunday playing Christian metal in a church, which is something I've never thought I'd see. Um, and what's the coolest part, his whole entire family came. Who, um, and I, after we played, I didn't know if we reached anyone, but I got to speak to uh, Riley's mum, who um, said that she never thought in a million years that she would step foot in a church. But um, after that, I even went on Facebook and saw that she tagged Riley in a post saying, at Beaconsfield Baptist Church, so proud of these boys. And not just that, Riley's told me that his mum wants to sit down and speak to me about the church and about the Bible. So it's been amazing. There's been about six kids who've got saved at that workplace, which is just amazing things to see, and it's all through the power of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. It's exciting to be in church together, isn't it? Especially when you hear testimonies like that. I love the power of testimony, and uh, this Wednesday, Tuesday, I was at our breakfast program, and Josh was telling me that story, and I thought, well, that's a story that everyone needs to hear need to hear what God's doing. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts and the whole purpose of the series is to, to show that we're a people on mission and that we need to go wherever the Spirit leads us on mission in our everyday lives. And I just love the way that God has taken um, Josh from the promised land in Pakenham and taken him all the way down to Hastings and he's put him down there where people need Jesus and he's put him with a group of people that just need to hear the gospel. And as, as Josh obediently steps out uh, on mission in his everyday life as a manager at Red Rooster, he steps out and he shares the good news and there are six people now that are going to spend eternity with the Lord. And that is just incredibly exciting. And that's what we want to be as a church, a group of people who, who gather but also scatter as missional people um, sharing the gospel wherever we go. And so there's no doubt that Josh has got the gift of evangelism on his life. He's an evangelist and he's uh, very gifted in that. And I just love the fact that he's using that. But we can hear a story like that and be very encouraged. And I hope and pray today that you are built up as a community because of that story. But there's also a small danger, and the small danger is this, that you hear a story like that and you get discouraged because you go, well, that's awesome what's happening there, but I could never do that. Uh, that's just not me. Uh, and so the, the temptation is that you shrink back into your shell and think, well, I can't do that, so, so what, how can I be on mission? Well, today I want to encourage you not to compare yourself to anyone else. Uh, you're not Josh. Um, Josh has got a certain uh, you know, set of gifts that God's given him and it's awesome that he's using those. But each of us have been uniquely gifted by God in order to be part of his body, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. 
So Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this body and we are all a part of the body and we all have a part to play. So Josh has got this obvious gift of evangelism. I love these stepping out and using it for the glory of God. But your gift might be something different. Perhaps you've got the gift of giving and you just love sacrificially giving over and over again for the sake of the kingdom. Maybe God's given you a, a really good business mind and you have the ability to generate finance to sow back into the kingdom of God. And that is a, a wonderful gift to have. Maybe you've got the gift of faith. You're one of those people that has that childlike faith that you just trust God all the time. In the little things and the big things, you just keep stepping out and saying, God, you are bigger than my circumstances. I just trust you in everything. And that's a wonderful gift to have. Maybe you've got the gift of mercy or perhaps a pastoral gift where you love journeying with people and just you know, caring for them, nurturing them, shepherding them, helping them to grow in the things of God. Maybe you've got the gift of serving. There are so many people in this church who love to serve. I already mentioned our set-up pack-up team, our sound, our musicians, our welcome team. There are people that love to come to serve in the life of the church, but also in the community, serving our next-door neighbours and our friends and our people in our workplaces. The gift of serving is a wonderful gift. Maybe this morning you have the gift of administration. You know, sometimes we think admin's just something, yeah, I do admin, but it's not really a gift. But administration is a a spiritual gift, and it's a wonderful gift. Uh, I do a lot of administration, but I've got to say it's not something I really enjoy, and it's not really my gift. Uh, In fact, if I could list all the gifts that I would eagerly desire, it would be pastor, leader, prophet, evangelist, uh, faith, And then over on this side, if I was to list all the things that I I don't really desire, there would be like celibacy, uh, martyrdom, and then under that probably administration. It's just just not my thing. Um, But there are some people that just love admin and they are fueled when they are, you know, entering data into a computer or arranging an event or being creative in that space. And, And I think they're weird, but I also think they're wonderful. And it's great that they're gifted in that particular area. We've got a couple of people in our church that are gifted in that area and they serve in that way. Uh, Liza Shrews is one. She's given up a day of her paid job as an event manager to come into uh, Follow Baptist Church one day a week and just serve in the area of admin. And because of what she's done, we are more effective, we are more efficient and we are a greater witness for Jesus Christ as a result. Uh, Another person I can think of is Tracy Young who has helped me with admin for years now. And I don't think I've ever met anyone as generous and as sacrificial with her time, her energy, her resources, her finance than Tracy when it comes to the area of admin. And we've been able to do some extraordinary things for God over the years because people like Liza and Tracy behind the scenes, often with no recognition, very little thanks, just serve God with their gifts. And as a result, we become powerful witnesses for Jesus. And I love being part of a body because everyone has got a role to play. Today, as we continue our series through the book of Acts, we're up to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to see the work, once again, of two very gifted evangelists called Paul and Silas. But let's not get discouraged today as we read this story, but rather let's celebrate the gifts that God has placed in his body. And let's seek God on the gifts that he's given us and how we can use those individually and also together so that we become an even more powerful and effective witness for Jesus as the Holy Spirit comes upon our lives. And so today, uh, that's one sermon. Sermon number two is about to start now. And from passage today, the big point of the message is really this. The crux, the main idea, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has no limits. I love that. You know, in our lives, we tend to um, pigeonhole things that perhaps we see as impossible. 
Those things in our lives, we'd love to do them, we could never do them, they're impossible. I remember when I was younger, um, I used to be a bit of a rat bag, uh, a bit mischievous at times. I know what you're thinking, it's hard to believe. Look at this fine, upstanding gentleman and thinking, he, you know, he'd never be mischievous. But there were times in my life when I was, and I remember one day, I was about, oh, around about 12 or 13, and I was at the cricket at a day-nighter. And I was with a friend of mine who probably wasn't a great influence in my life at that stage. Uh, but it was in between innings. Australia had just batted, and the next team were coming into bat. And we were pretty bored in, in the break. Um, my mate and I were drinking a can of Coke. We used to be able to take cans to the cricket back then. And we both pulled off the ring pool off the top of the can. And we were standing at the top of the southern stand in the third level and we were looking down into the second level and we were just chatting and we both had these ring pulls in our hand and down below there was a man who had a snack box with chicken and chips. And uh, my friend said to me, I bet you, you can't get that ring pull in that snack box. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. That's impossible. could never get, you know, we're 15 metres up. There's no way that little ring pull with all the wind and everything is going to land in that snack box. Plus, we're going to get in trouble, so I'm not doing it. And then he said the magic words. He said, what are you, chicken? (laughs) And I looked down at the chicken. I thought, well, I'm not chicken. And he said, well, prove it. And I thought, okay, I'll do this and repent later. And so I got my ring pull and I tried to strategically kind of place it where I thought I'd need to drop it to get it in this tiny little box down there. I thought I had no chance whatsoever. And I, I lined it up and I dropped it. And no word of a lie, as I watched it from above, I reckon the shape was like this. The wind took it one way and the other and it kind of floated, didn't sort of fall fast, it sort of floated in slow motion until it finally came to rest, guess where? (laughs) On the piece of chicken that he was about to pick up and eat. And uh, I celebrated, it was quite an exciting moment and the last thing I remember is this angry man, a pretty big man, looking up at me going like this and I did what every teenager would do, I smiled, I waved and then I ran like crazy. Uh, I thought I'd have to hide in the toilets for the rest of the game. And uh, it was a, quite a moment, really. But something I thought that was impossible, just a moment before, all of a sudden became possible. And it actually happened right in front of my eyes. Now, I'm not going to attribute that to God. Um, I don't think he was in heaven looking down saying, well done, good and faithful servant at that particular moment. Um, but something impossible happened. And one of the things I love about the gospel in a much more profound and less trivial way is that the impossible can become possible because the gospel of Jesus Christ has no limits. And I love that about the gospel. You know, I think sometimes consciously or even subconsciously, we tend to write people off in our heads as impossible to reach. That person will never become a Christian. So we sort of think, well, yeah, we know the Holy Spirit's powerful, we know the gospel is powerful, but, but that sort of person is, is kind of outside the boundaries of what the gospel could actually reach. We put them in the too hard basket. They've made too many mistakes. They're too hard-hearted. Maybe they're not interested. Maybe they've walked away. They're an atheist. They're another religion. They're stubborn. They're too rebellious, etc., etc., etc. But what I want to get across today is, is really this, that the gospel is so powerful that there's not one human heart There's not one person you will ever lay eyes on that the gospel cannot transform. What I want to get across today is there's not one human heart that is so hard that the gospel can't penetrate into that space and bring the light and life of Jesus Christ. That we need to understand that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we've also got to understand that all things are possible with our God. 
And I think the passage that we read today really demonstrates that. Because there are three separate people who were saved or delivered by Jesus in this account that are all profoundly different. Bruce says in his commentary on the book of Acts, he puts it like this. He says, three individuals are singled out by Luke among Paul's converts at Philippi. And they differ so much from one another that he might be thought to have deliberately selected them in order to show how the saving name of Jesus proved its power in the lives of the most diverse types of men and women. So in this passage, we're going to see three different characters that we're going to be introduced to. And the first one would be in the elite of society. Now, understand that's not God's language. God doesn't see elite and poor and anything in between. Every one of us is precious in his eyes, no matter who we are or what our background is. But society tends to characterise people into upper class, middle class, lower class. In this passage, we're going to see one lady who I would say is in the upper echelon. She's in the elite category of society. Then we're going to see another person who is right down the very bottom of the pile at the very bottom of society. And then we're going to see a third person who's kind of in the middle. But what I want you to see in this passage is that the gospel is powerfully relevant and life-changing whether you find yourself here, here or here. There's nobody beyond the boundaries of God's love. And there's nobody whose heart he cannot change regardless of where they might find themselves in life. And so the first person we're introduced to is a lady called Lydia. Now, Lydia, we find out in verse 14, is a business owner. And she's the owner of quite a lucrative business. Uh, Verse 14 says she's a dealer in purple cloth. Now, we might think, big deal, purple cloth. I can see purple stuff on today. It's a dime a dozen. We've all got purple stuff at home. Um, So why is that significant? Well, it's significant because um, today dyes in our clothing are synthetic, synthetic. And they're very easily accessible. But in ancient times, they were natural. And the extraction was actually really difficult, particularly for purple dye, meaning that that purple dye was especially expensive. And so purple in ancient times was seen as a commodity or sort of like a um, status symbol. And the purple fabric was only reserved for the elite. In fact, the emperor was the only person who wore a toga made entirely of purple cloth. And so Lydia is a woman who has a business which is a lucrative business. The equivalent would be like having a whole stack of gold that you were selling to people. And so she would have been a very wealthy woman. In verse 15, it tells us also that she owned her own home, which would have been very rare in those days for a single woman. And so here we are, we have this wealthy woman that is about to be changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus. Now, when we think of wealthy people in our society today... I think sometimes the biggest roadblock with the gospel is we think, well, why would they think that they need Jesus? When you look at their lives, according to what society says is successful, they have everything. They have a house, they have, you know, maybe more houses, they have cars, they have everything they could want, financial freedom, money in the bank. And so how can I convince this person who has everything that now they need Jesus? You know, Jesus said that, It's easier for a wealthy person, uh, sorry, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. And why did he say something like that? I don't think God has an issue with wealth. But what I do think is that sometimes when we become wealthy, we become dependent and our identity comes from the stuff that we have. 
And so we start to think, well, why would I need God? I'm self-sufficient. I'm a self-made man. I've done all this myself. But the thing I've noticed over the years is this, that if we put our faith in anything for fulfilment, for happiness, for lasting joy, if we put our faith in anything outside of Christ, what we find is that it ultimately betrays. It ultimately doesn't fill the void that only God can feel, fill. And so here we have Paul and Silas coming to this wealthy businesswoman. Now you could be the wealthiest person on earth or you could be the poorest person on earth. But if you are the poorest person on earth and you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you are wealthier than the wealthiest person on earth who doesn't. Jesus is the greatest joy. He's the greatest treasure that we could ever have. And so Paul and Silas, they encounter this wealthy businesswoman in what is described as a place of prayer. In verse 14, it says that she was a worshipper of God. So she already had an interest in God. We would call them seekers. She was a Gentile woman who had already been attracted to the Jewish God. But in verse 14, it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And so this lady hears the gospel and for the very first time responds and accepts Jesus and becomes Paul's first convert in Europe. And so it's absolutely confirmed in verse 15 that she did give her life to the Lord. Um, It says these words, when she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And so here we are in this account, we have this wealthy, successful, upstanding woman who in the world's standards would have everything she needs to be fulfilled and happy responding to the gospel. And so as Paul shared the gospel, she saw for the very first time that the one thing she didn't have was Jesus and that he was actually the only thing that mattered. That for the first time, she had an assurance and a confidence that all the wealth in the world could not bring. That she could leave that place knowing that she received the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life in a relationship with Jesus. And so the first person we encounter in this story is this wealthy woman in the place of prayer. But then it transitions straight away to another person. It's a slave girl that Paul and Silas meet walking down the street. Now it becomes clear that she's the exact opposite to this other lady. She's poor, she's downtrodden, she's an abused woman. The passage describes her as a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This lady is poor and downtrodden and she's possessed by an evil spirit. Her owners, who were making money from her, from what this spirit was enabling her to do, were actually exploiting her in a very bad way. Now, we know from Scripture that God hates people being exploited. He hates oppression and slavery. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 22 says, Do not rob the poor because they are poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. Psalm 72, verse 4 says, may he vindicate the afflicted of his people, save the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Jesus himself had a mission statement for his life. And he said this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. The Bible says it's for freedom's sake that we have been set free. God is a God who loves freedom. Now, Adam got up a moment ago and he told us about what's happening next weekend. We're going to play ping pong uh, for a good cause. And I love ping pong. 
who doesn't love ping pong? And uh, I've already been challenged by Rob Shrewers. He has uh, thrown down the gauntlet and he has said he's going to thrash me next weekend at ping pong. Now, if you know me very well, you'll know that I'm not very competitive. Or, uh, what are you laughing about? Okay, maybe just a little, just a tiny bit competitive. And I am hoping and praying that next weekend I thrash Rob Shrewers at table tennis, uh, all for a good cause, of course. Now, Rob has said that uh, my financial target, if I don't reach that, whatever shortcoming there is, he will make up the difference if I beat him at ping pong. Now, originally it was 500, but since then I've raised it to $10 million. And so uh, I'm really excited about, about this and about Rob going to get a bank loan to pay the rest of that uh, target next weekend when I thrash him in ping pong. And so I would really appreciate your prayer this week, your prayer that I would thrash Rob. And you can know, guarantee that you are praying according to the will of God. Because God hates slavery and oppression, and every dollar that goes to this cause will help alleviate that in Southeast Asia. And so you can pray confidently this week. Let me read what the website says about this event. It says, Join more than 1,500 everyday Aussie blokes of all ages. Is that Rob? No? That was Rob coming in. In bringing freedom, hope, and a future to young people in Southeast Asia whose lives are impacted by the horrendous injustice of human trafficking and sexual exploitation by participating in the 2015 Ping Pongathon. Now, the question some of you might have in your head is, why is this event just for men? And women might be thinking, why can't we be involved? And um, there are many ways you can be involved. But men, for a second, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, the majority of the time, it's men inflicting, uh, inflicting the abuse on women. If you look at the statistics, sometimes there's women that inflict the abuse as well, and that's just as bad. But the majority of the time, it's men inflicting the abuse on women. It happens through the consumption of pornography, where women who are so often forced into those situations through desperation or abuse are subjected to that, and men consume that on alarming levels. Sometimes it's through the use of sex workers, through domestic abuse, through sexual violence and crime that we see every single night on the news it seems to be getting worse. And so often when we see those things, it's men who are the perpetrators. And so I think it's actually a good thing that this event is aimed at men because as men we need to stand up and show that we don't believe that it's on, that it's completely inappropriate. And I want to say today, if you're here in this room or if you're listening to this on podcast, that if you are right now mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally abusing your wife, your children or anyone for that matter, there's no nice way to say this, you're a fool. And you're going against the heartbeat, the very heartbeat of God. And so I would strongly encourage you to stop immediately, to repent and to come back to God. And when you do, you'll find incredible grace. You'll find a God with open arms. And he will fill you with his Holy Spirit to help you to be the man that God has created you to be. We want to be the men God's created us to be. Because people flourish when men stand up and be what they're designed to be. If you're a husband in this place, I would encourage you to memorize the back end of Ephesians chapter 5. It's a wonderful chapter. You've probably memorized one verse already. Verse 24, wives submit to your husbands and everything. I would encourage you not to use that verse at home and I would encourage you to memorise the rest of the chapter because you will find as you do that that the weight of that passage falls well and truly more on the men than it does on the women. The climax of the passage says this, 
But men, you are to love your wives as Christ loves the church. How does he love the church? He died for it. He laid his life down. He sacrificed. He loved it incredibly. And that's the example for us that we are to love our wives that way. Our marriages are not for us to have our needs and our wants and our desires met. We're called to lay our lives down, to wring our lives out for our wives for the glory of God. If you're a man here today and you're a dad, your role is to raise your children lovingly, give them discipline, but in love, to guide them and lead them into the things of God. And if you're a single guy here today and you're not a father yet and you're not a dad yet, you won't get away with it either. Your job is to be a light to the world to be an example, to stand on the Word of God in your workplace, your school, your uni. And let me tell you, when you see a group of men doing that, in any part of the world, you will see a community and a society that flourishes, where men and women flourish, where family flourish, where children flourish, where people flourish. And I hope and pray that Follow Baptist Church will become a church full of men like that, who are willing to stand up, and take their responsibility seriously to be a witness and to have an impact in a society that so desperately needs men like that. So why is it aimed at men? Because we need to step up. And so I'd encourage you to sign up and be part of a great cause next weekend. In Acts chapter 16, we see a young girl being used and abused and oppressed for the financial gain of these men. And in this account, she encounters... Paul and Silas. And in verse 17, at first it seems that she's helping them out. I mean, she's following them and she's yelling out at the top of her voice, these men are servants of the Most High God and they are telling you the way to be saved. It sounds like uh, she's their own promotional group. You know, people pay thousands of dollars for people to promote their business and here's this lady following them around yelling out, hey, come and find out how you're going to be saved. Now, if there was someone on Facebook saying, come to follow Baptist Church and they were posting it everywhere, come and hear about Jesus, we'd be like, you go girl, just keep posting that, that's great. We want people to come and meet Jesus. And so at the outset, it seems like she's doing a good thing. But there's clearly more going on in this passage. She's a possessed woman. And in the ancient world, it was generally thought that if a spirit knew the real name of someone, they would have power over them. And so we see this often in the Gospels where the evil spirits try and exercise this kind of authority over Jesus and the disciples. And so for many days, that's what's happening with this woman. She's following him around, yelling out over and over again, these people are telling you how to be saved. It's kind of like when you're on hold on the phone. You know, when you, read a, you ring a phone company or a power company and you need to get them with you know, one question or one query and, and they come on with that announcement. And they say all the right things. It sounds so lovely. They say things like, sorry for the delay. You're a valued customer. We love you. You're awesome. And that's why we're keeping on you, you on hold for an hour. And, and on top of that, we have looked through the libraries of all the music ever written. We have found the worst possible music we could ever find. And we're going to play that in the meantime until we get to your call. And then a minute later, they come on again. Sorry for the delay. You're a valued customer. We love you. You're awesome. That's why we're keeping you on hold for an hour. And what seems like a very positive message ends up driving you insane. You had a query. Now you're furious by the time you get on the phone. And that's what was happening with Paul. We see that he got annoyed. Eventually, he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you. 
to come out of her. And it said, at that moment, the Spirit left her. You know, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in his name. And if we're going to be people on mission, we need to have a good theology of God and the devil. Let me tell you what a good theology is really simply. Big God, little devil. Why is it that we live our lives the opposite so often? Like there's a big devil and there's a little God. We're, we're terrified. We're fearful. We, we worry about stuff. We panic about circumstances. There's power in the name of Jesus. We can speak the name of Jesus over our circumstances and know that we are secure in him, that we have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be a people who are on mission. Book of James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't that awesome? Resist him. It doesn't even say fight him. It just says resist him and he will run in terror. He will flee from you. Book of James also says, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. We see in this passage, at that moment, the Spirit left her. You know, this week, um, Kim and I were interviewed on a church planting webinar. They interviewed six church planting couples from around Australia. And one of the questions they asked all of us was, what makes it particularly hard to plant a church in your region? Now, I was thinking a lot about this and trying to think of what that was. And I ended up saying that, in our region, we face the same apathy and the same cynical attitude to church that uh, we face in pretty much every area of Australian culture now. But I said, we don't choose to see it as the thing that makes it hard. We choose to see it as an opportunity. We have an opportunity to change people's perception about church and about Christians. We see it as an opportunity to present a compelling vision of the gospel And our vision is to lift up the name of Jesus over this region because we believe that there is power in his name. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, they said, I command you to come out of her and immediately the Spirit left her. Now this is exciting news for Paul and Silas. When God uses you in visible and incredible ways like Josh has shared this morning, it's amazing. What a great feeling to know you're being used by God. And so it was exciting news for them, but it was life-changing news for her. This woman, in one moment, in the presence of God, her life is turned upside down in a good way and she is set free from this spirit. And so it's party time for everyone except for the slave owners because their source of income just dried up one moment in the presence of God. And you can imagine they're furious about this. They're making lots of money off this woman and all of a sudden, in her eyes, she's now useless. Can't do anything. They can't oppress her anymore. She can't do what they want her to do. And so they get Paul and Silas and they drag them, Silas and they drag them before the magistrates. And it says that they're unjustly thrown into prison. And it's here that we meet the third character in the story, the jailer. Verse 23. It says, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And so we have this well-to-do, wealthy businesswoman. We have this downtrodden, abused, low-as-you-go slave girl. Now we have a public servant jailer. Now, most of the jailers in this place, according to church history, were retired Roman soldiers. One of the perks of being in the Roman army is that when you came back from war, you got given these cushy jobs. And so these guards in the prison, they were men that were highly qualified, probably overqualified for the role. They were very competent men. But we know from um, church history that Roman soldiers and the Roman Empire in in general was a very cruel and a very harsh um, regime. 
And so these were hard, cruel men. And they didn't care for the prisoners. They just wanted to make sure that they would never escape because if they did, they would lose their lives. And so we see in this passage that this man is asked to guard them. But we also see that he takes it a lot further. And you can see the cruelty in his life coming out in a couple of ways. The first thing is that he is told um, only to guard them carefully, but the first thing he does is he puts them in stocks. Now, stocks are um, locking devices that sort of allow for minimal movement and they sort of lock you in uncomfortable positions. Has anyone ever played the game Twister? Who, what sort of cruel person came up with that game and thought it was a good idea at parties? You've got dots everywhere and you've got to put your hand there and your leg there and your other arm through your leg and then you've got ten other people on this tiny little mat doing the same thing and you've got to try and hold that position and it's very, very uncomfortable. You're contorted. It's not a natural position. And being in stocks is a little bit like that. It's an unnatural position that you're stuck in permanently. And so we know that was a really cruel thing to do. The second thing that made it really cruel is that he put them in the inner cell. Now we know that the inner cell was the cell at the very bottom of all the other cells. It was like a pit, a hole. It was like a dark dungeon. It was the lowest cell in the whole prison. And it was thought that all the human waste from all the other cells would run downhill and would rest in the inner cell. And so this is an awful situation. I want you to picture this for a moment. They've been falsely tried. They've been flogged and severely beaten. They've been thrown in prison under the guard of a cruel man, put in stocks, lying in human waste, and it says it's about midnight. They're dark, they're cold, they're miserable, they're in pain. My question to you is this, what would you be doing in that moment? For me, I'd find it very hard to be praising God. I might be praying, but I'd be asking questions like, God, where are you? Why, when I'm trying to serve you on my shove, in this pit? But we see their response in verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. You see, being on mission should never be dependent on our circumstances. Our witness is so often most effective in the darkest times of life. God says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's at those times in life that are difficult and dark as we continue to praise and worship God that people see that our hope is not in our circumstances. Our joy is not in our circumstances in life, but rather firmly in Christ where we find forgiveness, relationship, freedom and the hope of eternal life. And no matter what goes on in life, that never changes. And I love that. On the 29th of April this year, Andrew Chan and Myron Sukumaran were executed for their part in a drug smuggling ring. They did the wrong thing, they got caught, they paid the price. That's the bad part of their story. But the great part of their story is that while they were in prison, they became Christians. They came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And they spent their time helping to reform other prisoners, many of whom became Christians as well. And I remember reading in the paper at the time, on the morning, early in the morning when they were executed, that they were standing in an isolated field, tied to crosses, waiting for the firing squad to shoot them dead. And what were they doing? They were praying and they were singing hymns into the air. And all the other prisoners could hear them. Just this week I heard that the ministry they began in that prison is continuing to flourish. 
And I think praise Jesus for the work they did. What happened in their darkest hour was an amazing witness to others. And we see the same thing in the life of Paul and Silas. An earthquake comes. The jailer thinks that all the prisoners have escaped. The doors are open. And so he's so terrified, he draws his sword and he's about to kill himself. And just as he does, Paul yells out, don't harm yourself, we're all still here. Don't you love the grace? You know, the temptation would be to say, hey, well, you mongrel, you deserve it. You're going to get what you deserve, you lock us down here, it's unjust, you deserve to die, and just let him do it. But no, even in the darkest time, in the cruelest circumstances, Paul and Silas extend incredible grace. God's poured into their hearts, they're pouring into the hearts of other people. And what we see is this tough, hard, cruel man who maybe we would see on the outside of any possibility of being saved comes trembling before Paul and Silas and he says, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptised. I love this. In the New Testament, there's, there's no delayed baptisms. It's just instant. Come to Jesus, get baptised. I love that. November 1st this year, we've got our first baptism service. Four people so far. If you haven't been baptised, what's holding you back? I love this passage. It says that you can be the wealthiest person on earth. It shows that you can be poor and downtrodden. You can make huge mistakes. You can be at Red Rooster on drugs. You can be cruel, harsh. You may have been an angry person. And even then you will find that the gospel has no limits. We should never give up on people. That's the application, isn't it? People in our lives we should never, ever give up on. That wayward child, that husband, that wife, that friend who seems far away. The gospel is without limits. With Jesus all things are possible. And so we arm ourselves with this gospel, the most incredible news ever. We go in the power of the Holy Spirit and we go and we sow and we trust that God will grow. The Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. But that Greek word, go, is better translated as, as you go. And what I want you to see in this passage is that none of the people in this chapter who came to know the Lord were deliberate targets for salvation of Paul and Silas. It was just as they went. They sailed down to Macedonia. They made a decision to go. They went to the place of prayer. They sowed the word of God and Lydia was saved. They walk through the streets. They meet this annoying, aggravating slave girl and they simply speak the name of Jesus and she's instantly delivered. They're then thrown into prison. As they go into jail, they sow their lives of prayer and thanksgiving in the most difficult times and the jailer is changed forever. This is our mission every day. I've said it before, but Follow Baptist Church will only have minimal impact if we rely on being attractional. But we will be truly used by God as we become people who are missional, armed with a gospel that has no limits. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel. Lord, we thank you that it's life-changing, relevant, dynamic news for every single person who walks on this planet. doesn't matter if they're rich or they're poor or they're in between. doesn't matter about their background, the mistakes they've made. Lord, we know that one moment in your presence can change everything. And so, Lord, I pray that you fill our hearts with faith this week as we go and encounter friends and family, people who seem like they're miles away from you. Lord, I pray that we would have faith to pray and believe that your gospel is the most powerful thing. 
and that every person can come to know Jesus when you touch their lives. And so, Lord, I pray as we go and as we sow that you would make those seeds grow. In Jesus' name, amen.